1: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the Extended Supply Chain of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D.
0: Indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, I promise you're in the right place. Let's see. Today's buzz. Oh, we're going back to nursery rhyme time. Jack, be nimble. Jack, Jack, be quick. And because it's 2016, I'm going to add another version of that. Jill, be nimble. Jill, be quick. And all the children jump over the candlestick. There we go. What in the world is she talking about? Well, let's get started. Businesses like yours, we have an audience all over the world. Businesses like yours are operating in volatile, demanding markets like never before. I don't think anybody would argue with that. You're facing major challenges as you try to manage customer responses, you responding to them, them responding to you, and you're trying to orchestrate a global supply chain and partner network across boundaries, local boundaries, global boundaries, all kinds of boundaries. Just think of the hurdles you have to jump over. And do it so well and agilely and adeptly. That's what we're talking about. So, but beyond the faster pace of product innovation, which is another challenge, you have to constantly keep with the market ahead of the market, know what you're doing, know what your customers want and the soaring demand for customized products. That's right. People want make for me, make one of a kind, make it now, make it to my specifications. You also have, as if this wasn't enough on your plate, you have competitive regulatory and economic pressures. Wow. It's a lot to handle. It's a lot to face. It's a lot to deal with every single day. What is the answer? We have one simple little word for you, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The word is agility. That's right. And that goes back to my opening quote. Jack and Jill be nimble. Jack and Jill be quick. Yes. Jump over whatever that hurdle, that boundary, that challenge is and solve the problem. Do it well. Do it fast and keep moving ahead. I have three experts on our panel today. Happy to welcome them and they're going to help us figure out how your company can do this. So, First up, let's welcome David Malik, M-A-L-I-K. He is commercialization and IBP lead for the EU region within Mondelez International. I'm going to spell the name of the company in case you want to look it up, M-O-N-D-E-L-E-Z, with a little accent something across the final E to make it Lees. And David has quoted... wonderful quote from Henry Ford. Henry Ford keeps being quoted on almost all of our shows these days. Uh, Anybody who doesn't remember Henry Ford, my goodness, what's the matter with you? He was an American industrialist, founder of the Ford Motor Company, and sponsor of the development of the assembly line technique of mass production. And let me just read a little more. Although Ford did not invent the automobile, and he did not invent the assembly line, he developed and manufactured the first automobile that many middle class Americans could actually of Ford. In doing so, and this is interesting, he converted the car, the automobile, from an expensive curiosity into a practical conveyance that would profoundly impact the landscape of the 20th century and even today into where we are. Well, he would never dream of driverless cars and autonomous driving. And well, Henry Ford, open up your eyes wherever you are and take a look what we've done with your idea. Here is the quote David has selected. Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. David Malik, Mondelez International. How are you, David? I'm very good. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining us. Love the Henry Ford quote. Are you a big follower and fan of Ford, or you just happen to come across this for today's show?
2: I think I'll be brutally honest and say I just happened to come across it, in fact, when I was uh, doing some research for this show.
0: We're here to be brutally honest, David, so don't even think about doing anything else. That's what we do here on Game because you're a Game Changer. You're on a panel of thought leaders like yourself on Game so just be brutally honest. Actually, nobody's ever said that before in about a thousand shows, and I love it. So that's how I'm going to introduce future shows. We're here to be brutally honest. So David, talk to me about the quote that you happen to come upon for our show today. What does this mean in terms of our topic?
2: Well, and I think, you know, you made reference to the topic in terms of agility. And and for me, agility is is not just about reacting quickly, but it's also reacting effectively or efficiently. And really, I think to be able to be able to achieve that, this is not just about, you know, dealing with the the short-term immediate issues without really understanding what are the consequences of the decisions that you make. And in order to be able to do that, it's about working collaboratively together. And it's not just about bringing people into the same room or making sure that they, they sit together on a regular basis, but it's actually making sure that they're not there just to defend their functional position, but actually to act like owners and as a total group, actually identify the most efficient way that you start to react to the challenges in the market.
0: So, Jack, be nimble, Jill, be quick, and vice versa. Do you think that was a good way for me to open the topic? Isn't that really what we're talking about? Do it?
2: It's indeed.
0: Good. Thank you very much. Yesterday I had a show and I opened with uh, John Lennon's uh, I may be a dreamer, but I'm not the only one, uh, whatever that quote is from Imagine. And it just happened to fit the topic so well. It was amazing, and it was a very serious business topic. So there we go, back to our favorite songs and our nursery rhymes. Thank you so much, David. Pleasure to have you on, and thanks for introducing the topic. And now I'd like to bring on board our second guest. I'm going to pronounce his name with my very best, brutally honest French accent, Tanguy Kaya. And if you're looking for him, it's T-A-N-G-U-Y. C-A-L-L-E-T. He is executive director, part of the EMEA Center of Excellence for Supply Chain and Analytics at EY. And Tangi has sent me a very interesting quote from somebody named George Matier. I'm going to spell that name in case you want to look it up because this is a very interesting quote. P-A-L-M-A-T-I-E-R. He's a principal at Oliver Wright. He helps companies make everything from soup to satellites in implementing integrated management processes and he's recognized as an expert on integrated sales and operations planning, integrated business planning and demand management. He's worked with all kinds of companies and most important about George Palmatier perhaps is he's a member of the Council of Supply Chain management professionals and he authored co authored one of the first books on the key role of sales and marketing and manufacturing the marketing edge the new leadership role of sales and marketing and manufacturing enough about george here's the quote plan to execute execute the plan tangi Kaye, welcome how are you today
3: yeah very good good morning thank you bonnie
0: Thank you, so talk to me. Are you a fan, a follower of Mr. Pometier or Pometier? How you might pronounce it, and how come you picked this quote for us to to, to have today on the show?
3: Yeah, I mean a fan uh, I would say a fan by procuration or a fan uh, a distant fan uh, because i've been exposed to to those uh, sentences several times at a different clients and actually uh, we were just joking with Dave uh, a few days ago about the fact that uh, he has been hearing this sentence quite a lot of himself as well. Uh, and so I think it fits amazingly the, the topic of today uh, and, and kind of bring a different dimensional perspective to, to also the opening uh, sentence of, of David. Um, plan to execute, execute the plan. One of the things which many people forget when they are planning is actually they should execute afterwards. Uh, so mm-hmm. they kind of forget about the the ultimate goal. Is, at the end, it is still to to sell something. It's still to produce or manufacture something. It's still to transport or stock something. Yeah, um, or sell a service or or, or another topic. Um, and actually, uh, by planning, people should prepare themselves to be reactive to the current environment. So agility, uh, being the thematic of today, for Um, auditors to understand how the business could be agile in this environment. Uh, If you are not planning in advance uh, your business, then how can you be in a position to correctly execute? And the second sentence, execute the plan, uh, is interesting as well, meaning if you've got a plan set up, then you should stick with the plan. Uh, Your plan will always be wrong according to reality. The key Mm -hmm. question is how much security or buffer you have put in your plan to face most of your of the situation you will have in the short term, so I, I found the sentence. Uh, it's it's simple, it's straightforward, and still remember us about uh, what what businesses should do and keep in mind when they are doing some planning.
0: Thank you very much. And Tangi, interesting, the idea of agility and planning, I don't know if those are, I won't say it's an oxymoron, but it almost seems to, planning seems to be a long process. You sit down, you think about it, you have a committee, you get together, what do we want to do, why do we want to do it, what's the business case, the justification, and then you say, okay, do we have a plan we can execute? Is agility the antithesis of planning in there somewhere? What do you think? Be brutally honest, to to quote our friend. (laughs) Well,
3: (laughs) I'll be brutally honest on this. Um, No, I strongly believe that if you want to be um, capable... uh, I mean, agility means the capability for business, at least that would be my definition, to actually envisage or see different situations and be ready for those different situations. And we would be speaking about scenario planning. Um, And if you're capable of looking at different situations... The best ones or the worst ones, then your business as a team is ready to react to the scenario which is going to come closer to to the ones you have planned for. Therefore, your company can actually correctly respond to the to the need to the demand uh, of the market, and and therefore I don't think it's antinomous uh, so much, but it requires people to to think ahead, get ready. And like, um, I would say, army would have to make several plans in a battle. At the end, they would have to, to pick one and go with it until the point where they need to make a new one. You still mm-hmm. need to plan, I think, even to be agile.
0: I, I agree. Uh, and the and flexibility and agility are very important. Go ahead. Finish your sentence.
3: It's, it's David here. Just
2: to sort of build on that point, I think, yeah. you know, many people in business would look at, the principle of doing risk and contingency planning around maybe it's a new, new, new product introduction. You want to understand the, the, the possible failures and actually to think about how you would react to them if they should occur. And in a way, you're doing a very similar thing where you're mm-hmm. looking at your business plans in terms of what you're trying to deliver. You're anticipating where things may deviate from that. And you're preparing yourself for those short-term issues when they arise.
0: And there's the agility. Thank you very much, David. I appreciate that. And now we are going to be joined by our third panelist waiting patiently in the wings, brutally patiently. It's Dan Miller, Solution Architect in SAP America's Supply Chain Center of Excellence. And Dan has sent me a quote from Field Marshal Helmut von Moltke. Let me just read those of you. We've had Helmuth quoted on SAP Radio about six months ago, so I'm sl- slightly familiar with him. He lived from 1800 to 1891, interestingly enough. He was a German field marshal, and here the here's the deal. He was the chief of staff of the Prussian Army for 30 years. He's regarded as the creator of a new, more modern method of directing armies in the field. I bet you agility was almost his third middle name. He's referred to as Moltke the Elder because his nephew, Helmut Johann Ludwig von Moltke was the commander of the German army at the outbreak of World War I, and he was the younger, so we have the elder. And a little comment from uh, Max Boot, who wrote War Made New. He says, Moltke loved music, poetry, art, archaeology, and theater. He knew seven languages, German, Danish, English, French, Italian, Spanish, and Turkish. He was a prolific artist who filled sketchbooks with landscapes and portraits, and he was a popular author. I'll stop there. He was very interesting, certainly a renaissance man. So here is the quote that Dan Miller has selected. no That's our plan word again. No plan of operation extends with any certainty beyond the first contact with the main hostile force. Ooh, I don't know who the hostile force is here. We're talking about supply chain. Dan Miller, welcome. How are you, Dan? Thank
4: you. Good morning. Good to be on the show with you today.
0: Wonderful! We got already good start with our your two co-panelists. So tell me, we've got the word "plan" in here. We've got hostile force. This is very military, Dan. Tell me, are you a big fan of Moltke the Elder?
4: Well, uh, he is he a is good leader. He did uh, figure out how to get the military organized, and I think agility was his middle name because the reality is that we can plan, and in the supply chain world we spend quite a bit of time planning, but as soon as our plan is confronted by the uncertainty of the real world, whether it's suppliers, weather, trucks, dock workers, the factory not producing the right quality, we have to come up with another plan. And we should have, as your other guests uh, already indicated, a, a concepts, of how we might deal with the risk or the failures of our original plan in place. Otherwise, we'll be left standing there without any ability to react and fulfill our customers' needs, as well as, you know, the success of our company. And so uh, for my alter ego, I'm a Navy Reserve officer and a logistics planner for the military. So that's where the military side comes into uh, some of my quotes here.
0: Very, very interesting. Um, any comment? I, we talked a little bit about agility. Do, what's your point of view on this, Dan? Do you think that planning and agility are antithetical or that you have to build in the type of people in your organization who will have the mindset of agility to be able to react and proact and be agile enough to adjust that plan as you meet your quote-unquote main hostile force? What's your thought on that? Who needs to be agile? I think
4: uh, planning and agility go hand in hand, and what you need to do is have people with the right set of tools who can look at contingency planning and don't just stop at the first plan and expect it to be executed perfectly. They, They need those contingency plans in place and have to at least thought through the possibilities so that when something does go wrong, they can react, and they can react quickly.
0: Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Great quote, by the way, from all three of you. Great quotes. And let's circle back to our opening panelist, David Malik. David, I'm going to ask you where you're calling from today. What time is it? And what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now, if it's interesting? And if not, what would you rather be drinking? Or what do you, here we come, plan to drink after the show, David? <laughs>
2: oh, boy. Good. So I'm, I'm, I'm calling from the UK. Um, and amazingly, the sun is actually shining. I know that might be difficult for, for people. People to believe. Um, it's just about uh, twenty past three now. Um, what I'm drinking right now is water, so I'm not going to talk about that, right? Because I don't think that's particularly exciting. But um, I'd probably like to be drinking a margarita cocktail, and I think two reasons for that. Um, one, it makes me think of holidays and the sun, which is which is always a nice thing to kind of help you relax and chill. Um, But also it was something that inspired us to a a, a quite interesting concept. So um, being British, um, we commonly on a Sunday would have a a traditional roast dinner. Um, And what we decided sitting down with a family every week is, hey, we'd like to kind of mix it up a bit and make it a bit different. So we took a decision that every other week um, we pick a country from around the world. We do a bit of research and we kind of prepare a whole Sunday lunch based around that particular theme with the music with the kind of like the, the table setting, the food, just kind of fun. And it's kind of giving you exposure to, to all the different things out there in the world, which I think is exciting.
0: It's very exciting. Can you share with us just briefly, David, what your favorite country meal was? What was the, what was the most popular among the, those gathered for this lunch?
2: Well, my family quite like Indian, not least because I'm half Indian. That's where Malik comes from. So um, Mm -hmm. I I tend to be the chef on those days. But um, interestingly, this Sunday, we're going to try Peruvian. And (laughs) we've had to order a few strange ingredients, but we'll, we'll give it a bash. Maybe I'll circle back to you on that one.
0: I think you should. What kind of strange ingredients, by the way? Just quickly, what are you planning?
2: Well, one of them is, is I think it's called huacate, which is known as black mint. I'd never really heard of it before, but we've had to order some jars of these various things and chilies off the uh, Internet. So that's the great thing about the Internet. You can get some of these specialist ingredients now.
0: And, and would you believe, David, I just Googled Peruvian cuisine and Wikipedia actually has an entry called Peruvian cuisine, often made spicy with aji pepper, a basic ingredients. Peruvian chili peppers are not spicy, but serve to give taste and color to dishes. Rice often accompanies dishes in Peruvian cuisine, and the regional sources of foods and traditions give rise to countless variations of preparation and dishes. And then there are articles on crops and cultivations and ancient plants, and we'll just leave that one alone. Thank you, David. Uh, I'll use a good Imagine. old Italian, Italian term, mangia bene, <laughs> or in, in <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, or, or in, in Yiddish, it would be fresh kind. There you go. It means eat up and enjoy. Thank you very much. And now let's turn to Tangi Kaye. Tangi, where are you calling from today? What time is it? And what's in your cup today?
3: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, interestingly, I'm in on business trip in Copenhagen today. So uh, uh, that's a, the, the beauty of uh, connecting across the world, uh, wherever you are. Uh, but actually, I'm based in Luxembourg. So uh, though I'm French, but I'm actually living in Luxembourg. And it's like uh, 4.20, so I'm an hour ahead of of David, actually.
0: And what are you drinking?
3: Well, the cup today, um, I was thinking about it as well, and I thought uh, that, you know, as a French person, usually you you tend to be good on wines, Um, so I would rather go for for a nice uh, white wine, and because uh, uh, Luxembourg wines are not so much known in the world, um, I would rather go for a nice Riesling from the Moselle Valley, uh, which is... Basically, the river, which is passing through Luxembourg, and uh, you have a really nice white wines, uh, like good Riesling uh, uh, here or some Pinot Gris or Pinot Blanc. Uh, that's one of the, the really nice beverages we can find there. Uh, and they are really good, yeah.
0: I am ready for a glass. Well, I have one more radio show to do after this, so maybe I'll I'll join you somewhere in the middle. Thank you very much. Uh, I love a good Chardonnay, but a good Riesling is just delicious if it's chilled and served in the right glass. I think that's very refreshing. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And Dan Miller, we have a certainly international panel today. Where are you calling from, Dan? And what are you thinking about drinking or what are you drinking right now?
4: Well, I'm calling from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's 10:20 in the morning, so I have a great cup of coffee from the Claudio Corralo Plantation in Sao Tome. And it is the smoothest coffee I have ever found in the world.
0: Wow! And describe it to me. Is, are you having it in a short cup, and a big cup? Are you having it with anything added, or just it's all on its own?
4: All, all on its own in a nice uh, nice mug. Uh, it doesn't need milk, sugar, or anything to go with it. Uh, absolutely oh, the smoothest wow. coffee I've ever had. And then you can buy it by going to Sao Tome off the coast of West Africa. Or from his ex-wife in Lisbon or a friend of his in Palo Alto, California, are the only places that you can get the coffee.
0: Really? His ex-wife in Lisbon? How would we come across her? How would we contact her?
4: Uh, Well, really, if you just looked it up on the web, uh, uh, ClaudioCorallo.com.
0: And Corallo is C-O-R-O-L-L-O?
4: C-O-R-A-L-L-O.
0: C-O-R-A-L-L-O. Let me just do that quickly. I don't want to derail this. Oh, here we are. Claudio Corallo chocolate. Oh, the quality of our chocolate starts with the work in the plantation from 1974, a story of 40 years in Africa. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to investigate this. Very, very interesting. Lisbon, Portugal. Very nice. Thank you very much for the reference, Dan. And uh, the three of you don't know me very well, but they don't allow me to have caffeine on radio show days. Today's a double header Tuesday, so it's just cool, clear water, good old-fashioned Brita filter, and a pretty pink straw because it's sunny here in New York after a full day. Of ooh, rain yesterday. So we are happy here. So we are talking about extended supply chain of the future. That's our show today. And the key word, in case you haven't picked it up, is agility. We're specifically focusing on your market to market supply chain. And my panelists are going to help you think about and create a plan, got that word in, for creating agility. Our special guests today are David Malik at Mondelez International, Tangi Kaye at EY. Shout out to our friends at EY. We have so many of your colleagues on our shows, Tangi, so happy to welcome you for the first time, and Dan Miller at SAP, Supply Chain Center of Excellence. Shout out to Rick Imber, who is the sponsor of this series at SAP, and I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial one minute we'll be right back justin out
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network Rising customer expectations, complex supply networks, and a focus on your business's bottom line make it more important than ever to bring your extended supply chain into the future. Your extended supply chain is one of the most critical components of your business success. From matching supply to demand with efficient order fulfillment to designing and manufacturing amazing products, hear how you can bring your extended supply chain into the future our experts discuss how the extended supply chain of the future is producing dramatic results to businesses worldwide the extended supply chain of the future with game changers is presented by sap visit sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network You're listening to the Extended Supply Chain of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the Extended Supply Chain of the Future with Game
0: Changers. We are back, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. I see some tweets here from Rick Imber. Hello, Rick. I know he may be listening on his mobile today. We figured out how to get him connected that way. He is the sponsor of our show, Extended Supply Chain of the Future with Game Changers. Nice to see you here. Anybody wants to join the party, Rick and I are tweeting at hashtag SAPRADIO. It's easy. Join the fun. Let's get started with our roundtable now. David Malik from Mondo and International is going to kick us off. And, David, I'm looking at your notes here where we will start. You say, Strong cross-functional collaboration is the key to success. Building a disciplined business cadence that is respected by all functions drives maximum engagement and effectiveness. I see a lot of challenges in those comments, David. Why don't you expand, and then we will invite Tangi and Dan to comment as well. Go ahead, David.
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the things that we recognized uh, certainly within our business quite early on is that first of all you need to establish that kind of business cadence uh that is that is in place is structured and robust that really brings all of the right players around the table because we we talked a little before about the importance of building building a plan and then planning to execute it's about Mm -hmm. understanding the the challenges within that plan and being able to make sure that you have the agility to react to the sort of issues around it. And in order really, I think, to understand the plan and the potential risks and issues, you need to make sure that you're bringing all of the different functions together within your business. And I think historically, if you look back, you know, it started in a world where maybe demand would be talking to sales. Maybe you started to say actually there needs to be a much stronger linkage between demand and supply because decisions you make need to be grounded in our ability to supply. As you started to look longer term, you would start to engage the sort of the category marketing functions. But I think one of the newer kind of thinkings is also saying this is very much a part of understanding your business, both in volume terms, physical cases out of the door, but also the value impacts that that's going to have because decisions we need to make ultimately need to be the ones that are going to deliver the, the, the greatest profitability to the organization. It's about meeting your customer needs, delighting your customers in the most profitable way. And I think engaging all of those functions and having them really help drive and deliver what you see as a robust and practical plan um, is one of the big keys to success.
0: Thank you, David. Good introduction to the start of our roundtable. Tanguy Kaye at EY, I love to have you comment, please.
3: Yeah, I mean, um it's a, it's a really good starting point to 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 speak about agility across uh, an end to end market to market uh, supply chain. I think uh the the key things which we have been seeing for for many years is um the uh, the difficulty for companies to go away from the silo minded uh perspective. And the way mm-hmm. that also and I've noticed uh the companies have been usually managed from a financial perspective thinking like okay, if I take my P&L I'm going to go through the top line of my P&L and then I'm going to think, okay, how can I push more revenue? And then I'm telling my commercial front-end people, sell much as you can. Then if you do go down the P&L, you're going to go at all every cost um, per, uh, cost uh, elements, and you will also tell every owner of those cost element in the various organizations you have uh, to actually perform by reducing those costs uh, and, and still perform the functions they are supposed to function. Uh, to deliver for the business. Now, this is usually creating a lot of misalignment in the business, um, and actually, this is kind of uh, trying to maximize the output with pushing every things into very various direction. And I think what um, Dave has been putting forward is how now we need to collaborate. Now, it's a different way of managing the business, where you need to bring a, a team to actually deliver on the, the, the on the business plan. Uh, You might have a strategy, you have a vision, then people need to be aligned behind it, but somehow on your daily basis and on the way you are managing your business, you need to be able to have people and organizations all, let's say, pulling the cart in the same direction. Yeah. And I think uh, this capability is something which is coming more and more, and having the right information technology to actually make all this information transparent uh, and those plans are actually becoming one set of plans Uh, I think is one of the key capabilities that you want to create in your business so that everybody sees what what is happening. I think uh, one of the things which we have seen in many businesses is the financial revenue being one number and the volume which you ask your plants uh, manufacturing to do is another number, and sometimes uh, some countries playing double games and they are saying, "I may i 'm going to still make my revenue don 't worry don 't worry uh, and on the other hand side they, they, uh, they, they might actually send a different volume number uh, to the manufacturing or might create too much inventory so I think that 's a situation we, we we see and I fully agree with, with the thing that collaboration is, is the right cure to that, though it is a, a strong change management uh, effort, and maybe we might speak about it later.
0: Yeah, we certainly can. Thank you very much, Tangi. Dan Miller, join us, please. Thoughts?
3: Yeah,
4: i worked with uh, one company, and uh, one of their business units was missing their financial projections quarter after quarter. And what they found was that finance actually had their own set of numbers And they just ran with those as the projections that they would give to, to management in the street. And then the operational side of the business had their own set of numbers, but they didn't have to actually put them in the same place and aggregate and disaggregate to connect from finance to the supply chain world. And so quarter after quarter, they kept missing their numbers until they got together and started collaborating in a different set of tools to see that plan and how it flowed from the revenue projection out into the supply chain into a quantity of different products rather than just a dollar figure. Uh, and that turned them around, uh, made them a lot more successful, certainly internally, uh, and took a lot of the aggravation off the table
2: from their CFO.
0: Thank you. David Mullick. Yeah, it, come,
2: go it's ahead. It's David here, actually. So yes. Just actually building on that point, because it brings an interesting new challenge as well, which is, and I absolutely support the idea of, having one plan that everybody is operating to is is critical so that the whole organization is moving in the same way. And you need the tools to help you do that. What it does bring, though, interestingly, is it makes everything very, very visible. So there's Mm -hmm. very little place for people to hide or to to kind of, um, let's say, flex information in terms of how they want to communicate it up or down the organization. So it drives a lot of transparency, which provides some behavioral challenges that you need to also address.
0: David, I was going to circle back to you, and I'm glad you jumped in. And my question to you on what you just said is we're talking about collaboration. We're talking about agility. I'm not sure those two even go together when you're talking about un- unsiloing an organization, when you're talking about getting people to work together. So my question for you and then for the whole panel before we move on to some of Tanky's notes here is who owns that plan? Who gets the final say? You get too many people in a room for too many hours or too many minutes who gets to say, okay, that's it, that's the plan, that's the scenario, that's what we're going to live with, let's make it happen? Who gets to rubber, to, to put their signature on that plan? What part of the C-suite or the organization?
2: Yeah, and I think so. Yeah, the, the first thing you would say is that throughout the process, you've got to be clear about who is the champion of a particular step and, and who ultimately has the final call because yes. I think there are times when people can misunderstand what the word consensus means. Clearly, the ideal state is that we come to a common agreement that we all buy into and we all commit to. But the important thing is we all commit to it. We might not necessarily all agree with it. We have the debate. We get to a point where we say, OK, actually, we all commit to this plan as being the most realistic view. But to your point, I think, you know, it's who are the people that sell product? A demand manager doesn't sell a single case. It's the sales organization and the marketing organizations that are the ones that can ultimately influence what goes out that door.
0: Thank you I mean, very much. I to that point, Any-
3: uh, David, I yeah. think uh, Tom speaking. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of the things which is also, uh, let's say, a capability that an organization needs to have, which is I need to be able to make transparent the assumptions which are behind the plan. So a, a number Absolutely. is a number, but a, without intelligence and without capability of people to explain why a thousand is a thousand but is different than a thousand – uh, you cannot actually come up with an, uh, an agreement about what actions you want to do, and I think one of the the key thing is to be able to think in terms of how do I, what are the activities or the decisions I want to make in my business to close the gap between what is currently happening in my market versus my aspirations. That means maybe my budget or my financial target I want I set up for for my business, and therefore. You are not spending your time discussing about why I missed last month, but you're spending your time about what should I do for my business in the next three to six months to reach my targets. And then you create an organization which is action-oriented, future-looking, rather than backward, uh, let's say, self-flagging about, or flagging, let's say, uh, to look at how bad we have been last month, yeah? And I think that's, that's also a criti- uh, cre- uh, key criteria.
0: Thank you. Dan Miller, you want to join in on this part? We're a little bit off of uh, the topics we're going to cover, but I think we're actually where we need to be. So, Dan Miller, any thoughts on what your colleagues just said on the panel?
4: Yeah, the the human element is a significant factor in getting the uh, different organizations to come together once they can no longer hide things. And one of the things that I've seen effective in that is actually using forecasting tools to look back and see whether different organizations are introducing positive or negative bias to their forecasts. And you find that some groups, when you take the personalities away and you put the math in place, you can see that they have consistent positive bias in their forecast. They're always over-forecasting by a certain percent and or under-forecasting. And I'm an operations guy, so I always under-forecast because I expect the world to come down crashing around me. And so when you put the number on the table, it's, it's a little easier to start having a conversation and come to a consensus because we can recognize that, statistically speaking, I am always 15% under-forecasted and I'm negatively biased in my forecast. So that helps the human element uh, take it away a little bit and get a little to more math so it's not a personal attack on somebody at the table when you're developing that consensus forecast.
0: Ah, we introduced the idea of uh, not a an attack, a personal attack on anybody at the table. That's interesting. We we can come back to that later, Dan, when we get to you. I want to move on a little bit to some interesting notes here from our colleague Tangi Kaye at EY. Tangi, I'm looking all the way down at the bottom of the end of the topics you sent me before the show, and I think there's some interesting words of advice here. You say, being responsive does not mean to be responsive to any kind of demand. For those companies usually facing strong economic cycles, it is critical to develop a strong allocation management process linked down to an advanced order promising capability to help the chain protect it from unwanted demand. Can you unravel this for us, please, Tangi? I think we've got some really good points here for our audience
3: yeah i think its it's one of the things which I have been um observing uh, uh or not observing at, uh, at at several places uh within within the clients I've been with and and in general so I think this is a core capability for many companies of course, I have noted with a uh, kind of a, a specific attention to the ones which are open or facing strong economic cycles by that i mean let's take uh electronic industry let's take uh, semiconductor industry. Uh, and and other industries which have usually short economic cycles due to ups and downs of the price of the commodity, for example, uh, and usually are, are um, industries which are faced with also huge assets investments. Yeah, and and one of the key capability of those industries to last uh, years or decades uh, uh, and not have a, a business dying, uh it's their capability to, in the good time to make good money, and to put the money aside, so to speak. And in bad times, to be able to actually still load their capacities, even though sacrificing the price, but being able to still get customers coming to them so that they can load their capacities and then invest into new capabilities for the next cycle. And why uh, would customers come back, even in bad times, to still use uh, those capabilities? Is because they have been well-served during the good times when capacity were scarce, and actually even the price were high, those key customers were well served by those co- companies. And um, this is uh, one of the things uh, where a lot of companies are kind of falling on their face, where they have a hard time to correctly prioritize demand according to certain business rules that they, they, will have, they will want to follow. And the first thing is to recognize when you won't be able to supply all the demand you will be facing in the future, that you start to engage with your commercial side, who should we short cut, so to speak. So who are good mm-hmm. customers which will continue to serve? We are the, Who are the customers which, at the end, let's put it like this, are not strategic, so if we don't serve them, it's not a problem. Because those good customers we will serve, when it's going to be a bad time, they will still be around because they have been well served. So that's point number one. And there is a second concept into this, which is to protect your supply chain. So what does it mean? It means that one of the key features I've seen companies is that they might have a nice process to prioritize demand, but this process does not go down to execution where the first sales orders, first in, first out, takes the inventory out. And the first sales orders can be from anybody. So if you don't lock up your supply chain to filter the demand from the sales orders uh, to respect the priority you've been given in the, in the process before, Uh, you actually not uh, leave your promise to to your key customers. So those are key concepts which I think can help companies to, to keep their reputation, their high service level, and ensure that their best customers are best served.
0: Thank you very much. Dan Miller, love to get your POV on this. Thoughts? Agree? Disagree?
3: No, I absolutely
4: agree. All customers are not created equal, uh, and certainly if you have to serve the most profitable ones, uh, they'll be around in the lean times. And I think what's theoretically possible has been practiced for, for a long time now. People are able to segment their customers and analyze it, but it has not been possible before today really to give those tools to your salespeople on the phone, in the call centers, or out in the field, so that they can make a decision right then and there when they have the customer on the line as to what price they should offer the customer, what service level they should offer a particular customer, and how much of the product if they're short. And those tools are now available to enable the sales force to make those decisions rather than having this done, you know, at a theoretical strategic level in the back office. And that makes a big difference for the uh, strongest companies out there to get the most profit out of their capabilities in the supply base and in their production facilities.
0: Thank you. Very interesting. I want to circle around to uh, who we got here, David Malek. Thoughts on this? Interesting conversation.
2: So I think this really sort of builds on the point that if, if you want to go back to the idea of agility as well, it's, it's about – being clear as a business, what are your strategies and doing these sorts of things upfront and in advance so that when you start to arrive at situations where you have challenges on supply, it's a very quick thing for you to kind of click in and start to manage properly. Because I think exactly to Tangi's point, you know, it's a bit late if suddenly all of your stock is gone because you're processing a set of orders and you hadn't anticipated that you were going to be in a supply situation that you needed to manage. And then you spend a lot of time trying to figure out who do I want to allocate? Who do I prefer? So back to that sort of risk and contingency planning, building that kind of capacity in your organization to be able to react to the issues when they arise comes really through having a clear strategy up front that everyone fully understands and can kind of click into once the once the situation or the challenges are there.
0: Thank you, Tangi. You want to wrap this one up? Interesting conversation you opened up for us. Any further thoughts?
3: No, sure, and I think uh, um, uh, to, to close this, uh, one of the thing I'm pushing uh, a lot in in my discussions is is how do I parameterize my supply chain? So, how do I by this this type of decision making about who do I serve, what do not serve, how do I segment my customers or my products that still mean at the end of the day that I'm going to have different supply chains behaving in different ways and I still want to give me the option to trigger one or the other behaviors in my supply chain to serve my clients in a certain way or another way. And that's also uh, an agility feature, so to speak, that you have this capability as an organization to to morph yourself according to the economic cycle, for example, or according to the price of commodities you will face in your market. So these are the type of things which you should embed into your decision-making and plans, and which at the end needs to translate down to execution To make yourself um, executing the plan and being successful.
0: Thank you very much. Anybody else want to add anything to this before I move on? We all good? Okay, Dan Miller, I'm looking at your conversation points here a couple of interesting things come to mind. One, I'm going to go right for the one with the percent in it because I like statistics. You say 64% of companies say that access to scarce resources is extremely relevant to their competitive advantage. So let's pose the question, Dan Miller. Agility, scarce resources, extreme relevance, competitive advantage. How do you move your supply chain? How do you move your management and your whole planning process To be able to get those scarce resources when you need them, why you need them for the right customers at the right time? And does this agility go back and backfire perhaps on the rest of your prioritization? Help me with this, Dan.
4: No, I think this goes back to one of the points we made earlier was about contingency planning. And so not just having your primary plan in place and expecting that everything will work out swimmingly for you, but having alternate plans available and thoughts as to what you would do if there's a dock worker strike in Long Beach, if, you know, another company locks up the resources, if the uh, roof caved in on the only airbag initiator factory in the U.S., and your supply dried up, what is the steps you're going to take to go in and figure out how to make that? And if you have to figure it on the fly, it can be incredibly painful, but if you've spent the time beforehand during the planning process thinking in a more agile way about the possibilities then you have the option to go execute some of those possibilities the, and replace and overcome these shortages. And whether those shortages are resources, natural resources, labor resources, technology, it doesn't make a difference if you've thought through contingency plans.
0: Interesting. Do you need a CSO, a chief scarcity officer, Dan, sitting at the C-suite?
4: <laughs> no, I think this is really your supply chain management leadership should be thinking in these fashions uh, throughout their planning process.
0: Okay, let me bring up one more of your talking points before I get our other camp panelists in on the conversation. You say, lack of visibility and the uncertainty this creates result in results in buffers created in the supply chain to ensure against disruption. So visibility, how do you get it? How much do you need? What about uncertainty? You're going to have some uncertainty somewhere. How clear does it have to be to you where it is, when it is, and how agile do you have to be to cope with that or overcome that? Thoughts?
4: Well, perfect visibility is would be a dream. However, the cost to attain that isn't worth it. Uh, but greater visibility allows you to reduce those buffers. Uh, and that's how we – supply chain planning, in my mind, is how do I deal with variability and uncertainty and how do I cover that? And the traditional method, if you go back 50 years, had been just pile on lots of inventory so that if there's any delays or disruptions or quality hits, hits – We have the materials on hand that we can do that, but that's gone away due to working capital constraints and leaner companies. So now the ability is to have that visibility for in transit as your materials move through a production process. If you're a long lead item with engineered products company and you have 300-day lead times, you need to know what's happening inside the factories of your supplier and perhaps even in your supplier's supplier. If you have long lead times for transit as products move from, say, China into the United States, you need to see what's happening on the dock over on the other side and underway and on the dock here. And that allows you to reduce the buffer of inventory to cover up for uncertainty because you know with some confidence where your materials are and you can make corrections on the way. So I think a greater degree is, is beneficial. Obviously, the search of perfection, uh, perfection is the enemy of good enough. And you spend a lot of time mm-hmm. and effort and don't get value for those things.
0: That's very, very apt. Uh, David Malik, let's get you in on this. Thoughts, please?
2: So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with the principle as well. I think as, as businesses are getting getting leaner, what you want to do is to make sure that those business resources, those experts that you have sitting in those functional roles are kind of used to the, the best of their ability. And I think this is where particularly tools are very powerful in helping you have all the data into one place to be able to kind of quickly analyze that sort of data. And as I think Tangi referred to earlier, the ability then to be able to kind of scenario plan and try out different things um, is really kind of key. And for me, this is where tools add value. So I think, you know, tools are not really making the decisions. What they're doing is that they're providing you all of the insights and the trends and the analysis that you need. That allows people to come together to focus on what are the materially important things that we need to to make decisions about, and let's let's make those decisions and move on. Let's then execute the plan.
0: Thank you, Tangi ey Thoughts, please.
3: Yeah, I think uh, we could extend the topic into two directions, uh, which uh, Dan and, and David correctly put together. I would like to extend it on on one hand to the digital supply chain and uh the, with with the new sensors with the new capabilities uh, internet of things which will actually even increase visibility in terms of being knowing like the temperature uh, into your container throughout the journey from China to the United States uh looking at uh, uh, basically pressure if you have a broken uh, uh pallet or i mean many things uh, or even maintenance of of key assets on the field uh, vibration sensors, and so on and so on. So those things are going to co- – and are coming and will come more and more and will bring a flow of data inside our supply chain, uh, in, uh, inside the, the organization to be even more managed real-time uh, and and try to react uh, more and more real-time. So one question we could ask ourselves is, okay, we'll have even plenty full of information or data but uh we might become more information data rich but information poor uh, because we might have a hard time to actually uh, uh, digest all those information and make sense out of it unless we also built a, a lot of capabilities yeah and that is bringing to my second point, which is uh, the capabilities need to be looked at from a more central perspective, and we have a lot of companies uh, which have become fabless, so they have to rely on a network of suppliers of suppliers and and then highlighted this fight, So it means that we need to rely on technology, which is now available, to, to interconnect and give us the capability to see beyond our own uh, four walls of, of the company. Uh, so that, that's, I think, key capabilities, and, and we need to, to, to f- continue to invest into that. Many companies are pushing forward. Um, the return on investment might not be seen immediately. Uh, the key question is what type of new business can you invent on the back of those data? What type of new supply chain ways of serving your clients can you actually provide or invent uh, with this new information? I think that's an that's amazing new field of possibilities where we are in front of us.
0: Thank you very much. Gentlemen, we're just about at the point. We're actually into already our predictions round, but I'm going to ask you all for a specific prediction. I rarely do this on the show, but we haven't talked about who the right people are for these jobs, who should be involved, who needs to be tech-savvy, needs to have agility in their DNA, who will be the supply chain, extended supply chain leadership of the future if there is such a thing. I'm going to go around the table and ask you, if you don't mind, to focus your predictions on that. Give me a point in the future where we'll be able to say, aha, there's a new breed of people involved in supply chain and visibility and agility, and they're making companies better Faster, more productive, more customer responsive, and more competitive and successful. I know that's a tall order on the plate there. David Malik, I'm going to give you exactly 60 seconds. If you want to give that kind of prediction, fine. Otherwise, it's up to you. Predictions, David Malik, Mondelez, go ahead.
2: Well, I think if I look in the years ahead, um, in, in my mind, it's about people start to become Business managers rather than functional silo if anything we've we automatically put people in little buckets and actually Mm -hmm. if I look at a demand manager today versus the demand manager of ten years ago in terms of the expectation in terms of what they should be able to see and and manipulate and understand is considerably greater and I think as we provide more tools to allow people to do the analysis it becomes more about having people that can look at almost the end-to-end information and the impacts whether it's financial volume um, and other and strategic alignment rather than being so bucketed. So I think it's greater flexibility in individual roles and less silo.
0: Thank you. Do you think it's going to be millennials coming into their own in this type of a role in the next uh, three to five years, David? I think
2: so because they're also they're much more comfortable with the technologies, right? So I, mm-hmm. I grew up through an age where you know computers were just starting to be introduced, and yes, I'm comfortable using the technology. But when you start to think about the way people handle. The movement of qualitative information and just the whole social networking type thing. I think you can build a much broader, broader base more quickly and more rapidly. Much, it's much more natural for them.
0: Thank you very much, Tangi Kaye at EY. Predictions, whatever you want to talk about. Sixty seconds. Go.
3: Yeah, well, I think I think I, I will tend to to disagree, but in a in a kind of provocative way with David is is that mm-hmm. I believe in in the next I don't know five ten years. Uh, we should not see anybody uh, anymore do planning. I would actually expect to see um, computers do planning instead of humans. Um, It's a bit provocative, but I think one of the key topics which we we are seeing is, uh, uh, yes, um, the humans are usually um, prone with failure when it comes to, uh, let's say, personal bias, Yeah. And one of, and actually Dan was speaking also from, let's say, forecasting bias topics. And this is usually introduced by human behaviors, incentive behaviors, and so on. So my prediction would be that uh, we should, let's say, for a certain part of the businesses and supply chains, uh, see less and less human intervention in, in planning, uh, leverage more um, automatism, uh, artificial intelligence, Predictive models and so on, and keep, let's say, the business side uh, to to the more aggregate views and to the specific products which need uh, careful management. All well, this would be my prediction. But I would agree with David. Um, supply chain people are too silo now anymore. Uh, they are becoming business people. They are they have to think financial. They have to think uh, operations. They have to to and and be in contact with the complete organization. So at the end of the day, we need more and more savvy, and experienced people.
0: Thank you. Very provocative, and that's what we like here on Game Changers. That's why you're here. Dan Miller, time for you to predict. I can give you exactly 60 seconds as well.
4: I think we'll see more people who have the data analytics skills coming uh, to the forefront in the leadership of the supply chain. I think what those people will understand better is how the models and algorithms work so that they can trust the system to do more of the basic planning and then handle the exception messaging. But the most successful of those people will be the ones that have some grounding in the reality of what's happening in the warehouses, on the trucks, and in the factories, so that they can make those judgment calls on the exceptions based on some foundation in actual business execution.
0: Thank you very much. So, Brief into the point. Yes. One more. Go ahead. Finish your sentence. We're almost out yep. of time. Go ahead. So,
4: so the millennials will probably require a little bit of seasoning over the years here to get to those leadership
0: positions. A little salt and pepper, right, Dan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think about it. I want to thank David Malik at Mondelez International, Tangi Kaye at EY, Dan Miller at SAP, and Rick Imber, who sponsors a series. And a shout-out to Justin and the Business Channel team who get us on the air and keep us on the air. I'll be back one hour from right now with another show called Financial Excellence with Game Changers. You don't want to miss that one either. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt regardless of where the materials are in the supply chain you're going to find a seatbelt somewhere what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today talk to you soon bye bye
1: Thanks again for tuning in to the Extended Supply Chain of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.